0: Jenny, wonderful prayers. Hopefully everyone can hear me okay. Um, my name is Andy. Welcome to uh, Sunday morning at Christ First. We're in Croxley Green, if you don't know, which is uh, on the outskirts of Watford. There's much controversy about whether that's how you want to describe it, but uh, it's great to have you with us and hopefully you're enjoying the service this morning. So I'm Andy. I'm one of the elders and part of a wonderful uh, broad leadership team here at Christ First Watford's. Um, you know what, we, uh, and I include me in this, are pretty terrible at contextualisation. Um, we've become masters of taking a lot of wisdom, uh, removing it from its context, diluting it down to something short and, and digestible. And that's the reality of where we are. We reduce things down to snippets and down to sound bites. Uh, if you can get my PowerPoint up, uh, Alex, I'll, I'll share a, a little bit about this. So uh, I blame—I blame part of this on on these two guys. You know them well, I guess. You know, good old Fried, Friedhelm Hildebrand and uh, Bernard Gillebar. I guess that's pronounced. You know those guys, don't you? Anyone want to hazard a guess at what concept they put together in 1985? You can type in the chat, in fact, if you want to, if I can get Alex to monitor the chat. Anyone got any idea what these guys created or co- the concept they created in 1985 when they worked for a good old GSM Corporation? Any, anything in the chat? No, 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 okay, well um, uh, successfully tested in 1992 between Neil Papworth of the SEMA Group and Richard Jarvis of Vodafone. Any guesses what they invented now? Not mobile phones? Anything in the chat? It read Merry Christmas is all it read when it was first received. Yeah. Text. Yeah, well, who's it? who got it online? No one got it online. Well, Ali got it here. Ali wins again. If you're ever, ever near a quiz, you know Ali pretty much always wins. They invented text, uh, or they invented the concept of text that later on in 1992 was first sent, and all it said was Merry Christmas. And there I think the challenge began, because the S of short has made us, and, and a few other generations or two now, um, think less and less about context and more and more about sound bites, IMs in the modern iteration of WhatsApp, um, memes, and these sorts of things. Some of them are harmless. Some of them are helpful. They can be quite inspirational. Um, but when it comes to Scripture, it rarely is helpful, because it's often out of context. And in fact, I'll be even a little bolder. can be quite dangerous when we use snippets of Scripture to reassure something which is actually not biblical. Uh, and I, I won't go too deep down that rabbit hole. But when it comes to something like what we're looking at today, which is the letter to the Corinthians, as an example of that, Fillmore's got a helpful book. Um, I would say it's helpful from the point of view, it's almost somewhat contradictory to what I've said. It's an aid. It's called The Bible in 100 Pages. And he guides kind of us through the sweep of Scripture on the hope that now when you read parts of Scripture, you have an idea of context. So it's actually quite a well-thought-out book. But it really is... Um, he says this, of, like, if you look at your Bible, let me grab mine, about the last eighth of it, I can actually see from here as I flick down, maybe it's a little less than an eighth, but a sizable chunk, here we go, are the letters to the church. The letters, a lot written by Paul, but others too. And he says this uh, in his introduction to the letters. He says, many people treat the gospel in the same way they treat a software agreement, they don't study it in detail. They simply scroll down to the bottom and absolutely minded, click on I agree. You know this to be true, don't you? Who's read a software agreement? If you have, please get prayer. Um, but that's why twenty one of the twenty seven books of the New Testament are letters written by the early Christian leaders to people like you and me. So the letters, like I say, are mostly written by Paul are to help Christians, just like you and me, as they walk in the way of Jesus. Um, Critically walking by the Spirit, we are carrying on the work of Jesus. Let me just raise this, I'm bending down too much. It's very important we think about this. We are carrying on the work of Jesus. He said in Scripture, greater things than me you will do. When the Spirit comes to carry on his work and his ministry, We are the body of Christ here on earth to carry on his work because what he did was only what the Father willed and what we are called to do equally is to do what the Father's will is. And I'm going to come back to that question in a bit about, well, what is God's will? It's always a uh, question I think we can ask. But just to return back to my point of context, the danger of scriptures out of context is significance. If you, if you know it, and you know the letter of 1 Corinthians, I can probably ask you, and don't worry if you don't, you know, we've got lots of a mixture of people with experience of church and the Bible here today, but what is your favourite chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians? I think, likely, most people would reply, if they knew it at least, were 1 Corinthians 13 which is the one read out at 50% of weddings about the way of love. I have to say, I've heard it read in context and it's brilliant and out of context and it's like, that's not what it's saying, that's not what it's doing. But it's that one, you know, love is patient, love is kind. That that scripture is the one that gets read out at at least 50% of weddings, if not more. The other one that's at, and we'll look at, by the way, we're going to look at the way of love, we're going to look at that scripture next week. So don't uh, be disappointed if we don't touch it too much today. We want to talk about it in context, of course. But the next one, the other one that people might mention, especially people who've been around church for a while, we'll probably go for 1 Corinthians 12, which is the one we're going to look at today. It's usually entitled, if you get titles at the top of your sections of the Bible, Spiritual Gifts and then One Body, Many Parts. That's usually the two sections of it as it's described. But let's be clear, it might be obvious, but once again, I think partly down to the way in which we approach the Bible, partly about the way in which the Bible has been laid out for our modern eyes, the chaptering and the sectioning of letters, you don't write letters in sections, do you? You don't write a letter with a chapter heading and verse numbering throughout it, do you? You write a letter as a continuous thing. That's what these letters are. They are continuously, they are continuous, they're read as a complete letter, they weren't split up or divided. And I think that's a very important thing when we approach scriptures like this one. We can think about, well, I'm just going to read that piece and I'm going to think about what it means to me and not realise the context. It's inside a letter. And what is that letter trying to do? So let's be clear. 1 Corinthians 12 is a continuation of what precedes it. It's part of a letter. The context of the entire letter is it is a letter of correction. It's a letter of correction. In fact, let me call it what it is. It's a telling off. It is predominantly a telling off. The churches in Corinth, Paul had founded. There was there was one, and then several. Paul had founded those. He planted those. He'd seen them born, as it were. And he's a gracious, loving father towards this church. And like any good father, he's lovingly firm when correction is needed. No good father watches a wayward child go wayward and does nothing. They try and intervene. They are firm when it's needed. My, uh, I, I won't use the term because it's not very nice, but there's a, there's a resting type of face, shall we say. Uh, shall we say, yeah. Uh, they know what I mean here. Uh, my, my, my kids tell me I have it, which is when I, when I rest my face, I go, this happens. I, I frown, something frowns. My brother's got the same. What it means is that all their friends are scared of me, or they were, they're not so much anymore. I'm such a softy. it's funny. Um, they're all scared of me a bit. Uh, they certainly were when they were younger, which I think is fine for boys anywhere near my daughter. Um, but that kind of sense of, you know, that a father has authority over, and, and he loves love for his children, but he also has authority, and, and can be stern at times, is good. Because this church in Corinth is a wayward child. It's gone off the rails. Just five sentences into the whole letter of 1 Corinthians. Nine verses, five sentences, including a greeting. He says in 1, 1, uh, sorry, 1 10 to 11. So the 10th verse, the 6th sentence. I, so he's done all the greetings, all the nice stuff. Didn't do too long on that. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there is no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarrelling among you. Now that's not going to be read in that sort of flat, monotone voice that you often hear hear when your Bible is being read. You know, on those apps, I appeal to you, brothers. This is a letter of correction. I appeal to you, brothers. And then it ends with, reported to me by Chloe's people, there's quarrelling among you. He's not going to be Flat toning this. There is a tone to this letter, and it's a tone of correction. We should love to be corrected by Scripture and directed by God. This isn't an overbearing thing. This is, I love you, and I want to direct you in the way you need to go, and we should receive it too. Because he's overriding, but it's not his sole concern. But Paul's overriding concern is this church has division in it, and he loves it, and he sees it dividing. The people that are not building up the church, they're dismantling it at its very foundation. So this list I put up here, and I'll try and be fairly brief because I want to get onto the scripture itself, and then we're going to explore it a little at least. This sort of shows the the flow, the examples of the types of corrections that have been going on through this letter. Chapter 1, divisions and people following. So I, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Andy, I follow Aaron, I follow Phil Moore, I follow this person online. He's saying that's not acceptable. The people that God has put in charge of the church are brothers and you need to follow those. The apost- apostolic people in charge of this church are brothers. You don't follow one or the other. They are all following Jesus and you follow Jesus with them in authority. Trusting human wisdom, chapter 2. Chapter 3, divisions and pursuing the flesh versus things of the spirit. Chapter 4, following the ways of Christ and godly teaching, I they're not Chapter 5, sexual immorality, defiling the church. Chapter 6, lawsuits against believers and another sexual immorality comment. Chapter 7, marriage guidance and divorce issues. Chapter 8, issues of food offerings to idols. Chapter 9, not supporting the leaders and a lack of self-discipline. Chapter 10, idolatry and doing everything to the glory of God. Idolatry and you should be, but you're not doing everything to the glory of God. Chapter 11, inappropriate appearance and abusing the Lord's Supper. I could go on, but you'll see the rest, kind of the flow coming out in the weeks that follow in this series. My point here now is we're about to read, and I'm going to read most of chapter 12 to you, but the point now is understand Paul's concern as we do it. Hear the tone of the letter as we read it. And I want to take on some critical points today that churches like ours do struggle with. The church in Corinth clearly did, and I think we do, quite often. It is coming under the authority of Scripture. Not over it, but coming under it. So reading it is authoritative. The Word of God breathed, through, breathed by God through man and written down, it's authoritative and it is over us, Not we are not over it. If I can perhaps explain that. It's not something we read and then evaluate. This is Paul filled with the breath of God, so he writes what we call Scripture. They and we are... they the Corinthians, and we are not deciding what we like and what we don't about it. We may need to understand it different, um, more specifically and drill in a bit, but we need to sit under its authority. We abide in it, because where we start to compromise, my favourite expression, someone asked me this at a meeting on Friday, what's your favourite little expression? And they, they, they said the one that I really would have ch- chosen, Excuse me. so I went with compromise is the enemy of perfection. We're pursuing perfection. Perfection of Christ, the perfection of Scripture, compromises the enemy of perfection. So let me read all of one twelve to you in a moment. It's good to read large pieces of, pieces of Scripture, but I have to put in a waiver uh, in the time I've got left, which is about twenty minutes. Um, I hope <laughs> we'll see how we get on. I want to leave time for prayer, but about twenty minutes or so, I am not going to do an exegetical walk through the entire letter um, or the entire chapter. I could easily, and I've said this every time I I preach, easily have done two or three weeks on this alone. But I'm going to pull out what I think God wants to say to us today, what I believe its purpose is, what we need to do under its authority. So let me read to you 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 first, and then I'm going to pick up from 4 just to carry on, because 12, 1 is the verse that Aaron mentioned last week and really sets the whole context of the letter, so I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12:1 and then 4 to 31. I'll put it up on the screen. I'll try and remember to click. If I don't, someone in this hall shout. So, so uh, first one says this. Now, concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, or some verses say ignorant. So that's the context. So you can imagine Paul saying, "Listen, guys. Now, concerning the spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. This is important." Let me pick up from four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in all, sorry, empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by the one, one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually, as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all members are of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we are all baptised into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear was to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Well, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is with God, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye... sorry. Let me click on the eye, cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, bespo- we bestow the greater honor. And our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division. There may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. And finally, now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. It's a big piece of scripture. and As I said, we could spend weeks on it. I felt it was important that we hear the whole section. And remember, it's a section of a big letter. This is my son, Joel. He's the goalkeeper. You don't need the arrow necessarily, do you? That's Joel. He is uh, six foot ten now. I'm six foot two and a half, and I have to look up quite significantly to my 19-year-old son. He played for a team called Northwood FC, and they were good. And in 2019, they won their league, and they made it to the final of the Hertfordshire Spring Shield that same year. I'm there at the match. And like any match, it starts with the only thing that's really on anyone's mind, spectators and players. Spectators, I mean the, the, the families of players and their friends, which is... Always entertaining to stand near them. Um, but all that's on everyone's minds is we need to score. Come on, let's get a goal. Let's score, let's score, let's score. There's, we need flashes of brilliance. We need to get it up to the front. You know, we want the, our Cristiano or our Messi or our Pelle or a Lineker or a Lacazette or a Lingard or a Klinsmann or a Vardy or a Kane. They're the names that we know, right? Get it to them. They're going to stick it in there. We need to score. Or in Joel's team's case, Will Griffin. Get it to Will Griffin. Will Griffin's going to score. And Will Griffin does score. So they go 1-0 up, sort of not too far into the game. First half, in the, in, I think it was around the middle. They're 1-0 up. Now, like, like any 1-0 game, there's still a need to score. So everyone still wants to score. They really do. They, the losing team needs to level things up. The winning team needs some kind of a margin of comfort because 1-0 is a nerve-wracking score in any game, especially in a cup final, because there's no second leg. You're going to win it or you're not going to win it. So the first half ends, it's still 1-0, there's time to score another. Everyone comes out the second half, there's not a sense of panic going on, everyone's still trying to score for those reasons. The clock keeps ticking and then about 20 minutes before the end, the losing team, you can see them start to worry and they start to up the ante, they start to push forward. So you hear the shouts from the the sidelines, from the manager and the coach, sorry, from the coach and the spectators. Um, The shouts begin, push up, push up, we've got to score, get those long passes in. 10 minutes, and they're starting to push hard into Joel's goal area. And him and the team are all pegged back. They're too tired to counter attack, so they just keep absorbing the attacks from the other team in that final third. At this point, Will Griffin and the attacking players are no longer what is needed. All the shouts and all the encouragements are going from the parents towards the goalkeeper and the defenders. The whole team are back. They're trying to help, but this is the time for the goalkeeper and the defenders to shine. Time for the goalie and the defenders to have their day. Every save was met by many cheers, like it was a goal. They were screaming when they got a clear shot and Joel would save it. They were shouting encouragements as defenders took the ball away from players who were pushing forward really hard to get where they were uh, towards the goal. Everything was like, yes, to defending moves. Will and the rest of them were just trying to do what they could to help. But now it was the moment for the defenders and the goalkeepers. I'm having kittens right now. I'm standing on the sideline. The most nerve-wracking football match I've ever been in and I've watched. I've watched a few internationals as well. It's my son out there and I know some of his defenders as well. Two minutes to go. Time slows down to a crawl. But they still attack and the defence hold out. One minute and 30 seconds on my watch, but the ref's watch is in another time dimension because time just slows down and he plays the game for at least another hour, it feels like. Just goes on and on and then finally, we're all staring at him. Put that whistle in your mouth and he does. He blows the whistle and it's 1-0 and they win. Joel screams the scream of screams. I don't think I'll ever forget. I can't move on, by the way. Oh, there we go. There, there's some winning. He screams from his goal mouth and he runs towards me like, yeah and then runs off and the defenders like, get hugged by the crowd of players as they've won the match. This is a made-up story, by the way. This is true. And every emotion I'm probably pegging with it is true. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 23. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow greater honour. I use that football story because I believe it's what Paul's trying to communicate to a divided church. Paul sees two things for me in 1 Corinthians 12 that are critical to a group of people on mission together. And we are on mission together. We are on mission together. We're on Jesus' mission to reach the lost, to minister to the poor, And so on. Firstly, there's a whole mixture of gifts and attributes needed. And none of them work in isolation. The best teams, the best churches, and aren't churches supposed to be teams? They're the ones where every role is honoured, every gift valued, balanced, and operating in unity. Secondly, football teams only have one coach, one who directs and decides... When it doesn't do that, the team gets messed up when there is one who says, this is what we're doing. But that's just a human analogy of 90 minutes, right? That's just 90 minutes. I mean, they build towards it. They still have authority in the day. They play just for 90 minutes. In our case, it's a lifelong commission to share the gospel of God's love. And we have the one spirit who decides who gets what, who gets what, when, and for how long. Again, reading from 1 Corinthians 12, four to one is given through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. You know, no one can claim a gift is their own. Only the Spirit gives it. And Paul challenges the church because many of them are just trying to show off. There are some, many of them are pursuing the most showy and flamboyant of the gifts for individual status. And that's what he sees. He sees them arguing amongst themselves, you don't have what I have. Oh, you got it too. Nice, huh? They thought only about what they wanted and not about what the church body needed. I want to say that again. They thought only about what they wanted and not what the church body needed to strengthen it, to build it up for the mission that it was called to to carry on the work of Jesus. Because they were, as sadly and often is the case in our culture, individualistic. So I find Corinth an interesting study on individualism that is permeating into our culture. I'm sure you understand what I mean. They had lost their way and Paul had seen it. They were divided, proud, not unified and humble. I want to read that line again. I think it's important. God telling me Read it one more time, Andy. They only thought about what they wanted and not what the church body needed to strengthen it and build it up. The result for this church was they were becoming ineffective in their mission. They were a lopsided body. They pursued gifts that have made them disproportionately built in certain areas and they were imbalanced. No longer what the spirit will, but what man had taken. You know, if you've got a church where we see a lot of Words of knowledge being brought, or prophecy being brought, and there's no wisdom, there's no discernment, there's no gift of discernment in the church. That can get out of control. These things have to be present. Discernment is a critical part of any church that wants to move in the gifts of the Spirit, because you need to know, okay, what of that is of God? What of that is of man? What of that needs to be weighed? How do we position that? You see later in Scripture about weighing and interpretation, coming under order and authority. Without that present, things can get so easily out of control. So that what they were doing in Corinth was no longer the will of God, but what they had taken as man. And Paul had to remind them it's not based on their will. It says in the scripture, I've got it there at the bottom of the screen there in 11, all of these are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The will of the spirit is the will of God, the will of of the Father, the Spirit is often defined actually as the breath of God. There's this great—I would recommend it if you, you enjoy sort of kind of books that are kind of fun to read with quite sort of deep messages. It, it wanders around theologically at times, but I still think it's a great book. This is by uh, Mike Pillavarchi and Andy Croft, and it's called Everyday Supernatural. And it's written as a conversation between sort of there's a, a narrative and then there's a conversation between um, between Mike and Andy, and it's very funny and very well written. Um, and I, I really enjoy picking... It's one you can actually pick up and sort of read pieces of. It's quite a big book, but it's, a lot, it's about conversations they were having that they've captured very well put together, very funny. Uh, they share a story of a little girl, a true story of a little girl called Hannah, who was trying to light her a fire with her father, whose name is Ants. I don't know why it's Ants. It might be a short version of Anthony. I don't know. But, but she's trying to light a fire with her father by blowing on those early embers. And they said she was blowing more dribble than air, But the fire lit, and Hannah turned around and declares, look what I did, Daddy. And they say in the book, what Hannah didn't see was that while she was kneeling down, blowing wet raspberries at the fire, her daddy was crouching next to her. Every time she blew, he was taking a deep breath and blowing the fire from behind her. I like that example. That is an example of as we pursue the will of God, he kneels beside us. And he blows his breath, his spirit into us. He does what we can only dribble. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean, by comparison to what God can do, we're just blowing a dribble. And we are blowing, but when he comes beside us. So what is the overriding will of God? Perhaps let me ask, what is the ultimate motivation of God? The driving force that takes Jesus to the cross. And that we can be sure, when we're trying to figure out God's, what God's will is, what his motivation is. Another good book. I'm just in book mode at this particular juncture. Terry Virgo, A Spirit-Filled Church. Really good book. And I'll, exp- I'll use it in a moment, just to explain my last couple of points and then we're going to have a time to respond. He says this, Repeatedly, Jesus' heart of compassion is seen as the motivational trigger that releases his power. Matthew fourteen fourteen says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. The driving motivation of 1 Corinthians, specifically 12, and you're going to hear about it in the weeks to come, is love. God's love for his children, God's love for the church. And within that, there's a cry of his heart for unity. Signposted everywhere in chapter 12, it says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Sorry, signposted at the end of chapter 12, should I say, as well as everywhere. But particularly at the end, it says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts And I will show you a still more excellent way. What follows? The way of love. Because love is God's motivation. That's why he gave his one and only son. Because he so loved the world. To die for us, take our sins upon his shoulders. The church is described in scripture as the son's bride. He loved the son. He's obviously going to love the bride of his son. So I want to use this as a closing point, this book, The Spirit-Filled Church, as a reference. I want to point out two final things about misunderstanding of the gifts. But I want to be motivational, not just talk about misunderstanding what constitutes great and higher gifts and help us call out for more of the Spirit active in our church. One thing about this book is it doesn't spend anything like as much time as you'd think on the specific gifts. Where's the chapter on tongues? There is one, by the way, and we'll come to tongues later. But where's the chapter on wisdom? Where's the chapter? It's it's not laid out like that at all. The bulk of it is about the everyday life of the church, in every aspect of the church, where the spirit needs to be, i.e. everywhere. It's a book about transformation. It's a book about how the word is preached. It's a book about how worship takes place. It's a book about how a spirit-filled church is unified. It's a book about loving and encouragement. It's about being on mission. It's about being well-led being worshipful, all spirit-filled. It's comprehensive about all the things that happen, which is really what the spirit-filled church is. The words we see in 1 Corinthians 12 is interesting here. It kind of lays into this point a little bit. It helps correct us when we understand what it means when we read in Scripture about gifts. Like 1 Corinthians 12, 1, it says, Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. We know that one. We've read it a few times. But the word we read for gifts here, in the Greek, from that, chap- that particular verse there, is pneumaticon. Basically means spiritual things. So of the spiritual things, i.e. the broadest of categories, just things I don't want you to be unaware of or ignorant of. Spiritual things, it's Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant of. Spiritual things... So what are things? Well, it's everything. Verse 4 then, he talks, he uses the word for gifts, we read as gifts, he has charismata in there, grace gifts, reminding us that they are what God wants to give and only what God wants to give, supernaturally by grace. It's directed by God. It's his choice to give us as many of these gifts as he feels we need if we're ready to receive them at the time they're needed. Verse 6, he uses the word enegema or energema meaning effects, the effects of the Spirit, and other ones, or workings, and in other parts he uses diaconia, meaning ministries, and yet we just read gifts, 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 gifts. My point is that while in, in Corinth, and now perhaps we, out of context, we hone in on the list of gifts, what Paul is telling them and he's telling us, don't be ignorant. There's much more to it than the list There's these things, these effects, these ministries. It's far-reaching across the entire church. The Spirit affects every aspect of church life. It's not about one gift. It's not some game of spiritual top trumps. where You're holding thinking, I've got no good one. The Spirit affects every aspect of church life when they're all there, present, and they're changing, because life is a changing thing, and the life of a church is a changing thing, and the life of society and culture, as we're experiencing now as we come out of lockdown, is a changing thing. What do you need right now in a balanced body, a fit body, a well body? I'm sure you can think of that. Through life, there are different times when you need different things in your body to get particular attention, to be helped, because you want to keep things in balance. To make my final point then to just one little thing about this book as well. It's dedicated to a guy called Nigel Ring. And most of you won't know who that is, but anyone who went anywhere near New Frontiers, especially during the Stonely years, will know who Nigel Ring is. But he's actually generally one of the most understated members of the team. Because Nigel Ring was the New Frontiers administrator. And the what Terry writes in the book here. I think highlights this point, I can't move on again, Alex, is that, uh, there we go, highlights this point about who is he dedicating this book to? The administrator, the understated guy in the back, he says, for Nigel Ring, ever grateful to God for your friendship, loyalty, personal integrity, pursuit of excellence, phenomenal work rate and so much more, only God knows my profound indebtedness to you over these, year, these many years of partnership in the gospel. Let me conclude, if it's all right with you, and we're going to have an opportunity to respond. I just want to say one thing: if you're someone who's new to Christianity, who's new to the faith, who wants to find out more and has questions about what is this all about, what is it, this Jesus, what is this Holy Spirit about, I don't even know or understand. I'd like to at least explore a bit more. If you want to type "Tell me more" in the chat window, we'll just make a note of who you are, and we'll kind of we'll reach out to you on your terms. Make contact in the coming days. You can just type tell me more because we do something a little different with the prayer rooms today. Let me conclude then. Motivated by love, God has sent the Holy Spirit to equip us for the good things needed to build up the church so it can be unified on mission, sharing the good news of Christ. Such a church is not one that's going to be only defined by how many prophecies there are or how many healings there are although these signs and wonders are, by definition, wonderful, and don't ever let me sound like I'm saying we're not excited when those things happen. Supernatural, they have a big impact on the church and a big impact on the lost prophecy and healings. But motivated by the Spirit, motivated by love, determined by the Spirit, should I say, the Spirit is neither limited nor is he static. The Father wants to give to the church whatever is needed to function well at the time it is needed. At the time we are in. The time we have been in. I was coming in this morning and I was prayerfully considering my preach. And I thought, should have preached this at the beginning of lockdown perhaps as well. When everything changed and we had all these new needs, did we have enough people that were willing to phone people up? Because phoning someone up when you're not naturally like that is because by the grace of God, he might give you that gift to pick up the phone and call people and bring comfort in times of distress. Did we have enough of those people? Or are we waiting for me and Aaron and the admin team or the, the pastoral team to phone everyone up? Do we have enough people willing to say, well, look, it's not my natural default, but I see the need. Holy Spirit, come, fill me, ready to make phone calls. Some of us did, and I praise you for it at the point of need. And now we're going through a different time in the life cycle of the church. We're about to get ready for coming out of lockdown. There's going to be new needs. There are still needs at the moment in the church not being met, not being built up and strengthened. What is it that we need right now? And can we have it not just a dribble of our own effort, but blown by the breath of God into something amazingly powerful? So when we take on something that we feel God wants us to do because this is the time it's needed, him with us makes it exponentially, immeasurably more powerful. What does the church need right now? Wade prophecy, yes, of course. Wade verified healing, yes, of course. Interpreted tongues, yes, of course. But what else does it need? Care, acts of care, acts of helping people. Guidance and administration, generosity of time, generosity of finance, kindness to strangers, kindness to the poor, knowledge and wisdom and good teaching, exhortation, diligent leadership, not just by elders, people picking up the phone, people checking on people. What does it need right now? Because God will provide what his church in this case, we're going to call it just us for now, Christ first Watford. What, did we, what do we need right now? Then by the Holy Spirit, will you fill me for these works of service? We can only dribble out what, compared to what God our Father does when he kneels beside us and blows the flames of these things. Gifts, ministries, effects and workings. I want to ask a question. It's one of those... Ah, it's probably loaded. You can, you can decide. Do you want to receive today? Do you want to receive a fresh anointing? Perhaps it's the first time of the Holy Spirit in order to help with the gifts, the effects, the workings of the Spirit that are needed for the church right now, to build it up. And remember, I think of this as kind of like a marriage, I always talk about marriage. Look, there's things I need right now, but I want to give to and receive from. So I'm going to give, and I believe that others will be praying that they might get the gift for the things that I need right now. Maybe I need some companionship and some phone calls. Maybe I'll step into that space myself and make some calls. Or maybe I want to step into a different space. But I know as the church starts to say, well, if that's where the need are and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us, those things will start being met. So I'm going to ask you for two... Again, I've lost the clicker, Alex. I think there is one. Just to sort of highlight what it is we actually... Uh, maybe not. Okay, don't worry. I'll, I'll read it out. Just pay attention because I'm going to ask you to respond in a moment. This isn't the time to log off. If you have a gift by the grace of God and you want to exercise it more for the common good of the church, that's one group of people. But if you want to build up the church by receiving something from the Holy Spirit that you will know that it is supernaturally given yet naturally executed, that you'll know, you know when God will lay something on your heart and equip you for it. So if you want to receive something from the Holy Spirit for the building up of the church, to bless this body, you're also in this group. So if you've got a gift, you want to exercise it more for the common good, or you want to pray for more of the Holy Spirit so you can serve the body, then we're going to do something quite different. we have been wondering how to do this ever since we came online. Um, We're going to have one breakout room that everyone's going to be offered. Everyone. I will be in that breakout room along with the prayer team. Um, So this is like the version of everyone stand up at the end of a meeting but we can't do that. So we're going to say, look, we're going to offer everyone the same breakout room and you in a minute and you can choose to join us in there and we are going to pray over everyone in that room. So it won't take long because we're not going to go through individual because we want to pray as a body for the body that gifts of the Holy Spirit will pour down upon us and we would start to see people moving in new dimensions of the church life based on what's needed right now for this church in Watford in 2021.